You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to an episode, a crossover Thursday episode of Locked On Ravens and Locked On Washington football team. I am the host of Locked On Ravens, Kevin Ostriker, here with Chris Russell of the Locked On Washington football team. Help support your local businesses, whether they are corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops. Local businesses have always been on your team, supporting you and your community. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support, so let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters, visa everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. And Chris, so happy to be talking with you today here. This matchup, I mean, the Ravens came off a pretty embarrassing loss, to say the least, against the Chiefs. And honestly, I might think this football team is in for one heck of a week four. What do you think? Yeah, Kevin, uh, always good to be with you. Uh, It's been a little while since we've had a chance to chat, but I knew we would circle the wagons here for week four of the NFL season. Not very often these two teams get together in the regular season, of course, uh, despite the near proximity uh, of their two stadiums. Uh, Long road trip. I hope the Ravens can handle uh, the commute um, down 95 and and on the Beltway and all that good stuff. Um, You know, look, for me, I I could be wrong here. I wanted the Ravens to crush the Kansas City Chiefs. I wanted the Ravens to flex their muscle and to be flying high coming in to FedEx field uh, to potentially be let down or to potentially overlook the Washington football team. Not so much so that the Washington football team would win. I don't necessarily care about that. Although let's be honest, winning is good for business, right? It's good for ratings. It's good for money. It's good for listenership and all that stuff. So yeah, that was part of my mentality. I wanted the Ravens to not be fuming coming into FedEx field, They're fuming. They should be. They were embarrassed in a lot of ways on Monday Night Football. And I think especially because the Washington football team has a couple of key injuries on defense and a very, very, very inconsistent offense. It's going to be a long Sunday uh, for the home team. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Chris. And again, Baltimore. They knew they had a shot to beat this Chiefs team, and they just went out there and did not execute. The game plan was a little suspect. The actual play calling was a little suspect. You know, you have a team. This Ravens team averaged 7.5 yards per carry on 21 carries. Usually that's enough to win the game, but the Ravens just got away from the run game, much like we saw in the playoffs against the Tennessee Titans. They abandoned their identity, and ultimately Patrick Mahomes just literally got whatever he wanted on the offensive side of the ball for Kansas City. It was just not a recipe for success for Baltimore. So in week four, going up against this Washington football team, Again, you mentioned those injuries. I'll ask you about those in a few minutes. I think it's going to be almost a bloodbath, for lack of a better word here. But, Chris, I want to start off by asking you about the current quarterback situation in Washington, led by Dwayne Haskins, the young signal caller out of Ohio State. He's impressed in some instances, and otherwise, he's had some costly turnovers, some bad reads, bad decisions, all things you can expect from a rookie, second-year, third-year guy. How do you think he's performed so far this season? 
And you mentioned rookie season. I mean, even though it's technically not his rookie season, it is in terms of his development because he didn't really start playing in earnest until halfway through last year and then missed the final game and a half of last year. So really, in terms of his development, he's still not even two thirds of the way toward, you know, done with your typical 16 game quote unquote rookie season. And then you throw in a new system, new coaching staff, no off season. And he was raw, very raw. Kevin, you know, coming out of Ohio state, everyone knew that except for Dan Snyder. Uh, I I know the former coaching staff uh, and people inside the building still knew that. So the long answer to this is he has been an inconsistent hot mess is how I would describe it. Uh, Last week in Cleveland, a game I was at first quarter, he was terrific. Uh, got rid of the football, made good, accurate reads, quick stuff, quick game. He seems to be very accurate and comfortable in shotgun or empty backfield uh, where he can kind of survey, even though he has less protection, uh, where he can kind of get rid of the football quickly with either a three-step drop or, again, one of those little one-step pivot-type drops. Um, and, and and he was good at that in the first quarter last year and uh, last week in Cleveland. He was absolutely dreadful in the second quarter. He stared down receivers. He overthrew a receiver for an interception uh, that was, uh, you know, on the hip of the tight end. They target the tight end, Logan Thomas, a lot, 24 times in three games so far um, for whatever that tells you. And that's what happened on that one interception. He should have had four interceptions in the entire game last Sunday. He only had three and a sack lost fumble. Um, but turnovers are piling up now. I mentioned the first quarter, good second quarter, horrible Kevin third quarter. He was great. They outscored the Browns 13 to nothing, a couple of touchdown drives, one rush, one passing. Uh, and then the fourth quarter, he was a night. It was like the weirdest kind of up and down all over the place. And that really has summed up Dwayne Haskins career so far is a lot of up and down more downs than up, which maybe people you would, you know, would expect. I don't know if they would expect this many downs, but there's been plenty of them. And if they can't run the football on Sunday and if Baltimore is really angry, which I expect them to be, it's going to be a long day for Dwayne Haskins in the offense. And, you know, the one thing that the Ravens defense really hasn't been able to do, I'll say over the last few years, is cover tight ends. And Logan Thomas, with those 24 targets, has proven to be, you know, that security blanket for Mm -hmm. a young quarterback, which is really so important. But I want to talk about one of Dwayne Haskins' other pass catchers, and that is Mm -hmm. Scary Terry, Mr. Terry McLaurin. Mr. McLaurin, 269 yards receiving a touchdown. He's looked impressive. I mean, you go back to his rookie season, he absolutely tore the league up. The Ravens are going to have to game plan for him and make sure that he is not a factor in this game because with literally one play, one screen, he could be just flying down the sideline for a touchdown. So, Chris, how important is it for the Redskins to get Terry McLaurin involved early in this game? Yeah, I I mean, obviously, very early, and it will be an emphasis. Uh, I believe, uh, if if memory serves me correct, and you can tell me, uh, Marcus Peters should travel uh, on both sides in, in, in man coverage, right? I mean... Uh, am I wrong on that? He should. There are some instances where Baltimore elects not to travel, especially okay. with the loss to Tavon Young. But for the for for some instances, I would expect. 
Right. So uh, to me, Terry lines up on the left side, the right side, and they've been using him more out of the slot this year, which has been an emphasis of the offense, the offensive coordinator, Scott Turner, uh, who's new here and is the son of Norv Turner for those uh, Ravens fans that don't, you know, that know the name, but don't know the name. You know, Terry has worked out uh, again of the slot right left. So he's all over the place and he pretty much catches everything and he's terrific at yards after the catch. He'll break a tackle. He'll uh, make a nice cut. He'll leave you kind of standing, you know, with your jock strap around your ankles. Uh, he has deep speed that if they can get the time seven step drop off a of play action, um, you will see a deep shot once or twice in this game, usually in the form of a deep post. Uh, they like to kind of run him over the middle where he has more room to operate. Um, but Terry McLaurin is awesome. He's uh, again, great after the catch. He's a really good kid, young man, whatever, smart, articulate. He's everything you would want him to be as a leading receiver, except right now he's stuck with a struggling quarterback. So that's why he doesn't get as much credit, you know, probably around the NFL as he deserves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, averaging 16.8 yards per catch this year, he's somebody who you have to account for, or he can literally break a defense in multiple ways. You mentioned the yard after the catch ability from him. He's he's a scary guy to go up against, and the Ravens kind of have their shifty guy in Marquise Brown as well. But Chris, I want to talk about this defense really quickly before we head in to our break. And Obviously, the big news here is Chase Young's groin injury going to keep him out for this game and potentially a bit longer. But that's a pretty big loss as he was tearing it up throughout his first, well, I guess we'll call it two games. He didn't really play in that Cleveland game. John Bosick is the leading tackler on this defense. But going back to that front four, even without Chase Young, still a very scary front Jonathan Allen, one and a half sacks this year. So he's really impressed me. And you also have guys like Montez Sweat. You have Ryan Kerrigan. Mm-hmm. So many guys who can hurt you on that front four. So how do you expect Washington's defensive game plan to look against Baltimore? Uh, so one name you didn't mention there is Matt Ioannidis, who went on IR. Uh, the team hasn't made it official yet, but he's going to. And he's expected to be lost for the season. He's probably their best interior. Uh, he is their best interior pass rusher, period. Uh, usually lined up at the one technique in the 4-3. Um, you know, and, and that's a big loss. You mentioned Chase Young. He's not ruled out by the Washington football team. Uh, I saw him at practice on Wednesday. He did not practice in terms of team practice, but he was riding the exercise bike. He was stretching. He was working on the back practice fields with Ryan Anderson, another uh, defensive end on uh, resistance band training and all that stuff. He's expected to be out, but I I can't say 100% that he will be out. So let's let's just assume that he is. Um, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, you mentioned Ryan Kerrigan, Montez Sweat is really coming along both as a pass rusher uh, and as a run stopper late in the game last week in Cleveland, as they got tired on a warm day in Cleveland, surprisingly, uh, I, I thought he lost it a little bit, quite honestly, and, and Cleveland ran at him. Uh, and had some success, not all his fault by any means. They were, again, very thin. But how they make up for these two key injuries, assuming, again, that Chase Young, the number two overall pick, which is obviously a huge break for Baltimore if, if, if he doesn't play, and Matt Ioannidis, another huge break, and he won't play, is is Tim Settle is a defensive tackle that's been a backup, but a very productive backup. He slides into the starting role. 
Again, I mentioned Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne in the 4-3. All those guys work inside in a combination and in a tandem, and they mix and rotate and try and keep everybody fresh. I would also expect Ryan Kerrigan to kick in inside a little bit more in certain packages. What's interesting is they have two younger guys, Nate Orchard, who's bounced around the NFL for a little while. He's got some speed and some athleticism, and Ron Rivera very familiar with him because uh, he helped him get fired in Carolina last year. And then James Smith-Williams is a seventh-round pick out of NC State who made the Washington roster, and you might say, well, how good could he be? Their two seventh-round picks are two of the gems of their, their their draft class, quite honestly. This kid's super smart. He's got a, a four six, I think, time speed, four six something. Uh, he can rush from the inside, the outside. So the point that I'm trying to make is th- there's no doubt that they're, you know, shorthanded, but they do have depth. They do have options. And more importantly, I think with James Smith Williams and with Nate Orchard and some of the guys that they already have, they have some speed that most teams don't have to kind of try and counter Lamar Jackson. Not to say that you will, but they have at least speed at the linebacker level. Kevin Pierre Lewis is another guy that can at least shadow or try and close the door or try and control Lamar Jackson if they're aggressive in their game plan like they weren't against Kyler Murray in Arizona. That was a big talking point for Jack Del Rio and the players early this week. Yeah, you do have to game plan around Lamar Jackson. And again, a very mad Lamar Jackson and this Baltimore offense coming in to Washington to play the football team. I don't know. I mean, with Chase Young, Matt Iodonis, as you mentioned, two guys who would really, I think, have had a big impact in this game. But still, as, as I said, the Washington front four is still a scary place to run into or even just to throw against without those two guys in the fold. But we're going to head into our first break here, and when we get back, Chris is going to be asking me questions about the Ravens, so stay tuned for that, and we'll be right back. This season, get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. You can catch every snap from every game with full game replays and see all the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. And NFL Game Pass is the only place you can replay every game all season long. You'll also learn from the league's best players with over 40 NFL Game Pass film session episodes. Go inside the game from a player's perspective as they break down the game's concepts and techniques. Learn from the best like Deshaun Watson, Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Adams, and many more. NFL Game Pass also provides access to the entire NFL Films archive. Go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need into a traditional chain storefront. Why endure from pointless to seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the counterman orders the parts in his computer, choosing only the brand his warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked down on the how'd you hear about us box so they know we sent you a big selection of live below prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com all right we're back on this crossover thursday edition of the locked on ravens and the locked on washington football team podcast great to have you guys with us we talked about the washington football team more extensively in the last segment and now we'll kind of flip the script and talk to kevin ostriker about the 
Baltimore Ravens and kind of put a focus on uh, them off of the bad Monday night loss. You want to call it a bad Monday night. I think it's fair to call it a bad Monday night loss. Not that they were absolutely expected to win, but I think most people thought it would be a much closer and tighter game. And Kevin, I want to ask you something. You kind of alluded to it. They got away from their bread and butter. Uh, Sure. Lamar had his rushing yards. They, when this team does not run and pound the football and open up that short passing game for Lamar, they are in a lot of trouble. Did Kansas city do something to Ingram? Did they do something to, you know, the whole group? Did they, sell out what do you think worked for Kansas City to again put that onus and that pressure on Lamar as a passer first well I think when you first look at this game you look at the opening possession for Baltimore and I think everybody across the league knows that to beat this Kansas City team you have to score touchdowns you have to put seven on the board and Baltimore's first possession ended in three and really at the end of the day What that meant was, all right, you let Kansas City get the ball back. Maybe you can hold them to zero points, get the ball back. What happened was Patrick Mahomes and this Kansas City offense just went down the field at will, scored so quickly. Baltimore gets the ball back. And this on their first possession after rushing the ball, averaging like average, I don't even know how many yards per carry, but it was a lot. And you see them just run, run, run. And it was effective. It was working. You see a reverse to Devin Duvernay that gets seven yards. So you have it about second and two with the Kansas City, I believe it was 12 or 11 yard line. And then you run two pass plays that go nowhere. They get you one yard. And then on the next possession after Kansas City scores, you have a great 12-yard design run with Lamar Jackson. Picks up 12, 14 yards. And then you have a horrendous tripping call on Nick Boyle that sets them back to first and 20. So not only do you you lose those 10 yards from the tripping penalty, but the 12 to 14 that you just lost from that play. So what does Greg Roman do? He goes and calls three straight pass plays which, again, is not the Ravens' bread and butter. I think you have to run at least on one of those plays. I'm totally all right with passing twice on a possession, but you have to make the Chiefs guess. Is it going to be run? Is it going to be a pass? So they go three and out. They punt Kansas City. They ultimately score. And then what happens? Devin DuVernay returns a kick for a touchdown. So you have momentum back. Kansas City goes three and out. So what what you have is you're down three, so you're expected to run the ball, right? It's your bread and butter. It was working early. Greg Roman passes the ball three straight times again, goes three and out. And it it was a theme. The Ravens got away much like we saw in the Tennessee playoff game from Mm -hmm. their bread and butter, from what was clearly working. And at the end of the game, the Ravens averaged 7.5 yards per carry on 21 attempts. They could not win a football game averaging 7.5 yards per carry. That is a ridiculously high number. And you have guys like Gus Edwards, who on four carries averaged 9.8 yards per carry at 39 yards. J.K. Dobbins had six yards on his only carry. Lamar Jackson was running those design options. But what Greg Roman decided to do was he saw this team down. He saw them with an opportunity to throw the football and I think just did it too much. So I don't think it was anything Kansas City did specifically. And again, all credit to Kansas City and what they were able to actually do. They were fast to the football. They forced Lamar Jackson out of the pocket. They forced him to be uncomfortable while throwing the football. And their coverage was very, very tight on the receivers. But at the end of the day, I think this game would have been very, very different if there were just a few more rushing plays called. You know, when I watched bits and pieces of that game and I'm still trying to go through the tape, quite honestly, as we record this, 
it looked like Lamar was able to dial up a couple of longish type passing plays uh, to, you know, uh, one, you know, that maybe the tight end Mark Edwards could have, you know, could, could have reeled in there in, in the end zone uh, for, you know, what would have been, you know, uh, I guess you want to call it a spectacular touchdown. Sure. Uh, Mark Andrews, I should say. Um or, you know, and then there was the one where he kind of overthrew a deep pass, if, if if memory serves me correct, up the sideline. In terms of touch, in terms of accuracy, in terms of the overall ability to throw the rock if and when he needs to and when by design they want to, where is Lamar at? Because I, I would argue that, you know, even if you when you're getting blown out for the most part, 10 points, 14 points, whatever. To have less than a hundred passing yards is is just utterly absurd. And, and, I, and I agree. And I mean, to an extent, Lamar Jackson, no quarterback is perfect when it comes to touch, when it comes to accuracy. He did have a couple of passes that should have absolutely been caught by Mark Andrews. But at the end of the day, he had some of those throws where he, he was right on the money and they were dropped. And he also had overthrows. He also had underthrows. We saw a couple plays where Marquise Brown, the receiver, beat his man deep. He had a wide open walk-in touchdown on one play. Lamar Jackson overthrew him on another play. Lamar Jackson underthrew him. So where mm-hmm. is Lamar Jackson right now with touch? I'm actually very confident in what he's been able to do with improving on his deep ball accuracy, which, again, I think was one of his biggest needs going into the offseason when it came to improving something going into this, I guess, COVID offseason. But with Lamar Jackson, again, Every, everybody just has to be better all around. And that falls on Lamar Jackson because you look at a stat line with this quarterback and you see less than 100 yards passing and you just go, oh, my God. Right. In an NFL football game, a, a quarterback passed for 97 yards in a loss. So at the end of the day, yes, that's not acceptable. But yes, at the end of the day, Lamar Jackson does have to be better. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for him. I will defend Lamar Jackson when it is necessary, when people are you know, giving these bad takes about him and counting him out for no reason. But yes, Lamar Jackson absolutely has to be better, especially in these big games. You know, the Chiefs, as he mentioned in his postgame press conference, he said they are literally his kryptonite. kryptonite. Yeah, Yeah. that he has to get better. He has to understand it. And again, the coaching, the game plan, the preparation. We saw Kansas City in that game do literally whatever they wanted on offense. We saw them throw to tackles, shovel passes to fullbacks, fake screens one way, then another way, then a throw in the middle of the field to Travis Kelsey. They were very creative with their game plan. And ultimately, I think if Baltimore can do that, with because they have the speed to do it. Marquise Brown, we saw Devin DuVernay on that kickoff return touchdown. I think that Lamar Jackson has these weapons. He just has to hit them, and he's been hitting them throughout his career. I just think it was an off night for him. Yeah, this is my fear going into this game. Washington has some speed on the defense. I mentioned Kevin Pierre-Lewis. I mentioned some of those young defensive linemen uh, in this game. Troy Apke, a free safety, is really fast, but he's not good. That's the problem. He takes bad angles. Uh, He's hit and missed as a tackler. Ronald Darby has been beaten deep a couple of times in week one and week two by backup wide receivers. So to me, if Lamar is just a touch more accurate and he gets a little bit of help, like we talked about from Andrews and, you know, of course, the rest of the crew that you just kind of to mention and Duvernay scares me uh and of course Marquis Brown you know to me I think Lamar is probably going to have 300 325 by the time Sunday afternoon is over um because we spent obviously a lot of time talking about the offense and I don't want to uh eliminate the defense you know Baltimore has always been known as a good defensive team and when you look around we talked touched on Marcus Peters earlier um 
I know Calais Campbell. Um, I know Derek Wolf. They've kind of changed some things around. They drafted Patrick Queen in the first round. How good is this defense when they're not taking on the out of this world Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs? And, you know, Chris, I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't really understand is that we saw these two powerhouse teams go at it, right? The Kansas City Chiefs, the Baltimore Ravens. Kansas City is on literally like three planets away from here in terms of how good they are. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable to watch just the ease they moved up and down the field on this defense with. And come playoff time, that's going to be an issue. But now you head in to play this Washington football team. And when they aren't playing the Kansas City Chiefs, this defense is actually very good. Now, they did lose their starting slot cornerback, Tavon Young, for the season for the third time in five years. And that, that's a big loss because what that allows you to do is move Marlon Humphrey, who is one of the best corners in the NFL, to the outside, which is his natural position. He played a lot of slot last year because Young was injured and he just filled in and was actually a very good slot cornerback. But now with Tavon Young injured, you have to move him back in, which means that your experiment with Jimmy Smith at safety, who was able to play safety because the Ravens had so much depth at corner, now has to play a bit more outside corner. But again, the whole MO for this defense was improve the front seven, get pressure on the quarterback, bring the quarterback down and be able to stop the runs, especially the outside runs. They struggled extremely hard against the outside run in 2019. And so what you've seen so far is, I think, very encouraging, except for the actual sack numbers. Baltimore has not been able to get a lot of those. And you look at it, they're paying Matthew Judon over $16 million on the franchise tag. He's a do-it-all linebacker. He's not just a pass rusher. Baltimore drops him into coverage. They also they actually drop their outside linebackers into coverage quite often. I believe in the Cleveland game in week one, Matt Judon had, I believe it was 18 dropbacks into coverage for a guy who had nine and a half sacks last season, 10 if you want to round it up. But I think that this Ravens defense is very good. You see LJ Fort, a cast off from the Pittsburgh Steelers and Philadelphia Eagles who got signed off the street in 2019. He's been one of the highest graded linebackers from PFF. And I mean, take what you will from PFF, but he's played extremely well. Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison, you mentioned that Kansas City offense. I mean, they got benched towards the end of that game because they were just getting eaten alive. Andy Reid made sure to target them. I mean, as you probably would if you were a coach going up against these two rookie linebackers who didn't have an offseason. But they have Calais Campbell. They have Derek Wolf. They've been able to stop the run very well. So if you're able to bottle that up, make Dwayne Haskins, throw the football, and really make the Washington football team use those receivers, use Terry McLaurin, use Logan Thomas, I think that Baltimore has a really good shot to win this game, especially in what I think is going to be a bounce-back game for this team. Uh, Kevin, one last one, you know, before we let you go uh, and run out of time here. Uh, we mentioned D uh, DuVernay with the, the big kick return. Uh, it just seemed like from outside Baltimore with Harbaugh being a former special teams coordinator has always been really solid in the special teams area. And I actually think for a terrible team, Washington is as well. This might be the star subplot of the day on Sunday in, at FedEx is which special teams unit uh, is better. And I know Baltimore has a pretty good one. Oh, yeah. Special teams can win you football games. I mean, it yes. almost won Baltimore the Kansas City game if they were, I think, a little smarter with their game plan. But I think that really, if you get that momentum shift like we saw with Devin DuVernay's kickoff return for a touchdown, I mean, obviously, it's what you do with it that counts. But really, you have guys and the Ravens have been looking. They've been looking all over the place for Turner that can give them the spark that Jacoby Jones gave them all those years ago was key to their Super Bowl run. We saw him do it in the Super Bowl. 
they've been looking. They tried out an, uh, pretty much old Devin Hester. They tried some undrafted rookies. But with James Prochet, who's the punt returner, and Devin Duvernay, who's the kick returner, they have two electric speedsters who know how to work with the open field, know how to make space. And I think that with Baltimore, yes, John Harbaugh's always been a special teams guy. Jerry Rossberg, who was Baltimore's special teams coach for a really long time, retired before the start of the 2019 season. So Chris Horton has been the guy who's taken over that unit. We saw some struggles last season, but so far I have no complaints about the special teams unit for Baltimore. So we could see the star-studded matchup for Baltimore and Washington take place, not on the offense, not on the defense, but special teams. You know, Harbaugh, when he took, people don't remember this, when he took the Baltimore, he was the special teams coordinator in Philadelphia. And again, that's always been a strength of theirs. So it's really interesting how these things kind of come together. Um, Kevin, I know we're out of time, but I I guess real quickly, I I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I assume you're picking Baltimore. Do you think there's any chance this will be a close game? Yeah, to a degree, I could I could see it. I don't think it's likely. But if Baltimore is really just down after that Kansas City game, which I do not think they are, they said that they you know move on to the next week. It's week four. We're on to Washington. It could be. But at the end of the day, I expect Baltimore to handle their business and to show up pissed off and mad and angry. And honestly, I think that's the scariest part. Yeah, and and I'm right there with you because before Monday night, I thought Washington had a decent chance to keep this game close and would lose. Now I'm fearing the retaliation, the anger, the venom that we've kind of both been talking about. Plus, when you combine, you know, the the, the young injury uh, and definitely Ionitis and a struggling Dwayne Haskins, uh, I think it'll be a multi, you know, I I think it'll be a double digit uh, Raven win by the time it's all said and done. Kevin, uh, great to catch up with you as always uh let's do this again i don't know when uh maybe uh, in four years when the battle of the beltway happens again or you know i mean it's not illegal to g- actually go to the super bowl and play against each other that ought to be fun huh oh what a headline that would be battle of the beltway <laughs> in the super bowl hey i love it. it means baltimore would be there so i will take it Chris. I, I i understand it means washington somehow would would go on a magic carpet ride It was great talking with Chris and getting that Washington football team insight. I just think at the end of the day, and we'll get into this when we do our game preview tomorrow, that the Ravens are mad and the Ravens don't want to get embarrassed two weeks in a row. So I think this is going to be a win for the Baltimore Ravens. We're going to head into our final break now. And when we get back, Spencer Schultz will be joining us to answer more of your mailbag questions. So stay tuned for that. And we'll be right back. And we are back here with our final segment of this Locked on Thursday edition. Kevin Ostroker, your host, still here with you. And we just talked with Chris Russell of the Locked on Washington football team podcast. But as promised, we are going to be getting back into your questions because there were just so many of them. And that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But here to answer them with me is our regular Taco Tuesday guest, Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beatdown. Spencer, it was a tough game, but I am not discouraged. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm feeling the same way. It uh, was a game where the Ravens played with a lot of frantic energy and exposed a lot of cracks in different places for uh, which the Chiefs were able to be fortuitous and take advantage of and kind of do some football jujitsu and use that energy against the Ravens. So hopefully they're able to shore up some things and get back to rolling because it's a team that has not lost very often over the past two seasons and really dating back to a third. 
Yeah, absolutely. And again, these are the defending Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. It's not like it was just going to be a, a cakewalk and nothing was going to go wrong. You have you have very little margin for error against Kansas City, and there were quite a few errors. But Spencer, getting into these questions here, our first question comes from Ryan Bratton, and he asks, are you concerned with our receivers outside of Hollywood and Mark Andrews? He thinks that the team should use Devin Duvernay, Duvernay more because good things happen when he has the ball. Other than that, it seems like the playoff game outside of those two, no one steps up or gets any separation. So Spencer, are you concerned with guys like Miles Boykin, like Willie Sneed, or do you think Baltimore's okay outside of Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews? I believe that those guys need more calls, that they're the primary read. They're the design of the play. They are uh, the ones get, getting the slant over the middle as opposed to the one running the, the kind of backside secondary slant. And that was something that was on display. You see Hollywood Brown uh, catch a pretty big hit over the middle of the field on third down, well short of the sticks. And that was because the Chiefs were in man coverage. They ran a lot of man coverage. And if you look just beyond Marquise Brown on that play. Miles Boykin was one-on-one, -on -one, one on a slant over the middle, but he wasn't the primary read. The ball goes to Brown. Boykin is open. I think that Miles Boykin is open a lot. I think that Willie Sneed uh, tracks the ball really well underneath, has very reliable hands, can be used to move the chains more. But, you know, you would like to see the Ravens just put those guys in motion more. It felt like they got away from motion. They got away from the hard count. They got away from uh, the option game, the read option passes. They got away from using all 11 guys and using the entire football field. And if you just want to line up and go run pass sets against the Kansas City Chiefs, a team that uses so many RPOs and so much motion themselves, defense isn't going to be fooled. They're going to be able to, you know, strap up decently. And the Ravens didn't do a great job of, you know, setting picks for guys or using any concepts like that. And I think it, it doesn't have to do with the talent as much as it has to do with coaching, coaching decisions and uh, not utilizing the complex concepts that the Ravens have within their playbook. So I believe those guys can get the job done. As far as Devin Duvernay, He's, he's a rookie. He's in his third week. I anticipate if he keeps trending upwards by the second half of the season, he's going to be a cog in this offense. He's going to be a primary guy, a, a heavy rotation receiver getting, you know, 40, 50, maybe even more than 50% of snaps. Eventually uh, that feels like it's inevitable at this point when he keeps trending up like this, but guys do have off games. And while one week he might be, you know, lighting the world on fire, he's a rookie. So don't get your expectations too high while he could still certainly, you know, have a, a game that's less than stellar. So don't live week to week. Yeah, I think you're exactly right there, Spencer. And at the end of the day, and especially with Devin Duvernay, you're right. He's a rookie. No offseason, or I guess not no offseason, but no preseason, very shortened offseason. So as he gets more acclimated to the NFL game, he will certainly get more snaps. But Spencer, our next question comes from Andrew Hall, and he asks... I, he knows a lot went wrong at every level, but it honestly seems like Lamar gets overhyped against the Chiefs or even in the playoffs. He's just not his usual poised self. So he asks, is there anything the coaches can do to settle him down or is it just a maturation process? Because at the end of the day, he is 23 years old. So Spencer, what do you think about all that? I think it's just more matchup based. We watched Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens go into the defending NFC champions house on Monday Night Football. Uh, kind of before, you know, it ended up transpiring into an MVP year. That was one of the key stages was a huge game against the Rams, a huge matchup. And Lamar Jackson was absolutely calm, cool and collected and disassembled the Rams from top to bottom. And we also saw the same thing against the Patriots. When the Patriots came to Baltimore last year, they were the number one defense in terms of DVOA of all time through eight games. And the Ravens 
took them down. They're undefeated at that point. Uh, I mean, 49ers end up going to the Super Bowl, all these big matchups. And I think that, you know, it's it's just impractical to expect every single game for him to be on every single time, 16 games a year. And it ends up, you know, sometimes the, the good football teams that have proven over the past couple of years, they're consistently dominant teams like the Chiefs give people trouble. The Titans give people trouble. The Titans are 3-0 and right now. They just, you know, went up and played a not bad Vikings football team and stole a game in Minnesota. So they're good football teams that give people problems. And uh, I would say that it's just more matchup dependent on these teams that are capable of doing things. I mean, the 49ers game was a rainy mud fest and, you know, almost like a preakness. And Lamar Jackson was able to manufacture a scoring drive at the end of the game to win it. And so, you just have to stand by. He's still 23 years old. He still does spectacular things, and he's still growing. So it'll uh, it'll it'll come with time and experience. The more you see, the more you know. Exactly. I don't think people understand. Just you know, he's really this. If he makes it through all 16 games, it'll be a second full season starting in the NFL, and he's already done so much that. You know, you, you can't discount him for all that he's done, but at the same time, yes, with this experience that he's getting with losing three times to Kansas City, I mean, it, it's getting to him. And that will come with losing to a team so many times, but at the end of the day, the experience he is gaining from these losses will be so, so valuable. So when you play the Kansas City Chiefs, whether it be in the playoffs, whether it be next year, he will be even more mature for those games. But finally here, Spencer, our last question, and it's kind of a two-parter, comes from at King Madrista, and he asks, on a few days ago's podcast, I said that it's really hard to blitz Patrick Mahomes, and that I was right, but that we see John Harbaugh kind of liking the scheme to a little bit of what the Chargers did to an extent, but at the same time, Baltimore doesn't have that front four. So with the scheme that John Harbaugh has been implementing for three years in a row against Kansas City, what do you think the game plan should be for the next time? And also, do you think this team misses Earl Thomas? I don't think this team misses Earl Thomas, but at the same time, there were blown coverages that are evident and very, you know, apparent that they're communicating on the field and, and improperly communicating and then leaving one of the receivers on a certain side uncovered. That is what kind of people thought Earl Thomas originally got cut for and then more news kind of leaked out. But I think that they've they've, you know, shown nothing dissimilar. They just are still working out the kinks. There's new guys involved. I don't think that Deshaun Elliott has really done anything porous at this point to to say, oh, wow, we got to get this guy out of here or anything like that. So Deshaun Elliott, you know, is playing 20 yards off the ball. They're not really letting a lot of big plays up. They haven't let, you know. There hasn't been some 50-yard play over top. There's been no bombs, really. And that's because Wink Martindale is, is sending Chuck Clark and Deshaun Elliott in rotation to, to freaking Jupiter. He has been putting them Greg Williams-level free safety, free safety depth. Uh, I, I think the Chiefs just understood after seeing the Ravens blitz a couple times and being football offensive, having such football aptitude and being able to understand, okay, the Ravens like to bluff guys and drop them into coverage so we'll spread the field really wide and try and target areas where those guys can't reach and Mahomes has the arm talent and the consistency to be able to do so so he was able to kind of pick them apart underneath hit a you know a couple throws over top but nothing too crazy uh he did have the incredible you know drop in the bucket in right outside the red zone but that wasn't you know any 50 yard bomb or anything like that so Ravens are playing pretty conservatively in one sense and then trying to create a lot of chaos underneath but 
the Chiefs seem to have found a, a kind of rhyme and reason why things happen and where to a target where to target certain areas. And because of that, the next time they they play, the Ravens should just be a little bit more straight up. And I think that they should continue to blitz, but play cover zero press. I think that not pressing in a lot of different situations allowed these quick throws. And it, it's this weird game of, of putting seven, eight guys at the line of scrimmage. And then you can't put two or th- you can't put everybody there uh, all the time. So they end up you know, having Marcus Peters play eight or nine yards off the ball and have a safety in the middle of the field. So there's some quick throws there that you can make with good arm accuracy and talent. Uh, so it, it's you know a complicated game, and I think that if you do want to blitz them, be straight up, come right at them, stop trying to, to stunt quite as much. Uh, you're you're basically creating more that needs to happen, and it's a lot of unnecessary chaos because Mahomes is just able to find space and extend plays and make things happen. And uh, against those kind of guys, you know, it really reminds you of Aaron Rodgers when he was at his peak. You didn't want to, you know blitz him and, and play all these games because he's just going to pick it apart methodically. You got to, you got to cover and you got to cover well. And the Ravens have the cornerbacks to do that. So rely on those press corners in press jam situations, Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, their best at the line stuffing guys off the line of scrimmage. And then Marlon Humphrey especially has incredible recovery speed and able to make some outstanding plays. If you're not deadly accurate, then you're not going to beat Baltimore. And I think that the Ravens have proved that quite a few times, specifically in Buffalo last year. They pressed the hell out of the receivers and they couldn't get off the line. So go back to pressing and, you know, of, of course, don't drop all the blitzes, still give some confusion, but just find a nice little blend and uh, try and tone it down a little bit. They kind of made the game too fast for themselves. So they just need to slow things down that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you do press, you'll be in a lot better of a situation, especially when you are bringing all that pressure, because as you kind of mentioned, Spencer, you bring all those guys, you force a quick throw, but you're not pressing to prevent those quick throws. So at the end of the day, there are always going to be quick slants available where it's not going to be a catch and a tackle. It's three yards, but there's open space for these guys to run. So you're picking up chunk plays almost every single blitz where you're literally just blitzing seven, eight even nine guys right off the bat. But Spencer, that's all that I have for you today. Thank you so much for taking a segment here to come on the show this week. And when we get back to our regular Taco Tuesday schedule, hopefully Baltimore will have a bounce back game against this Washington football team and come out three and one. The Washington football team has some players, but uh, the Ravens are still going to be complicated and something that Dwayne Haskins hasn't seen before in terms of those bluff blitzes. So I think Ravens will be back in the victory column. Thank you so much for having me on, Kevin, and take it easy, everyone. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Spencer. When we get back here tomorrow, it's going to be more Ravens talk from us as we preview the Ravens Week 4 matchup with the Washington football team. So stay tuned for that, and I will see you tomorrow.